0: Our Father, we thank you for the lunch and the fellowship we've been able to enjoy and pray now that you would uh, grant us uh, the ability to hear, understand, uh, and make application of the truths of your word that we hear and the, the wisdom principles in regards to coming alongside others. And so we pray that you would use this time to better equip us to go forth and to make disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so key element number three is where we're picking up in this session, and that is gaining involvement. And so we have gathered data, asking lots of good questions, we've sought to discern, to define the problem, and now that we have a general understanding of what the initial problem is, problems are, we want to gain real, meaning, loving, compassionate, caring informed involvement with those that we are working with and so just to start out what are some some reasons why we might want to get involved in somebody else's life biblical reasons okay to disciple okay okay yeah they've asked for help yes we are commanded to okay yeah, all, all sorts of reasons why we should get involved. Uh, it is our calling, if you consider passages like Ephesians 4:11 through 16, uh, to build each other up in, in sound doctrine, in love, in truth uh, unto Christ who is the head. And so we're going to look at how to gain involvement. And as we get involved in, in people, um, for those of us who may be more of a mechanic trait or mentality uh, it's important that we view people as image bearers of god Uh, i think wayne mack we put it this way i wrote it down he says counselors are made in the image of god they're not problems with legs or a car that needs repair Okay, And so as we're working with people, we need to remember these are real people, real struggles, image bearers of God that we have the opportunity to come alongside and to encourage with the Scriptures. In his book, Leading with Love, Alexander Strach writes this concerning involvement. He says, Imagine a father who claims to love his children but takes no action to stop them from becoming drug addicts or prostitutes. Or imagine seeing a brother in Christ walk along alone heading straight towards quicksand. But you say nothing and walk away in silence. This isn't genuine love. It's apathy. And so apathy or a lack of involvement uh, can come out in statements like this. Someone else will help them. Right? You, you see somebody, they're struggling, and you know it's going to be messy. I mean, somebody else will, will take care of that in the church. Uh, or I don't have time for their problems. Or, wow, that one's going to be way too much work. But as we think about it, what if God said to us, I don't have time for you and all of your problems. What kind of situation would, would be we be in today? And so thankfully, God has demonstrated involvement, and he's demonstrated for us in his involvement how our involvement then should be reflected uh, with his people. And so I think the place of starting with involvement is to consider first and foremost God's involvement with mankind God is involved with mankind We see first as we consider our triune God God the Father uh, In Genesis one twenty-seven, He created mankind In the beginning Genesis 3.8.9 God sought Adam and Eve Right after the rebellion And then we see in Genesis 3.15 His long term plan of involvement Begins to unfold Which we then see further fulfilled In John 3.16 Where God gave His only Son Right? He so loved the world He gave His only Son who would conquer sin, who would conquer death, who would reconcile sinners, all the way to Revelation 21, 3 and 4 where God states that His dwelling place will be with man. And so from Genesis to Revelation, we see God the Father has involvement with uh, creation with mankind. Of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, there's tons of examples, just a few here. Mark one forty one, With compassion, Jesus reached out to provide help to the leper in Mark 3.14 he appointed disciples to be with him regular involvement Mark 6.34 he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and so he taught them First Peter 3.18 Christ saw our very messy situation and got involved uh, next we see the Holy Spirit's involvement John 14.16 he is the counselor who is with you Forever, who according to John 16 verses 8 and 3 convicts the world of sin and guides Christians into truth. Ephesians 1 13 and 14, it is a spirit that guarantees the salvation of all God's elect. And Galatians 5 22 through 24, it is a spirit that enables us to bear forth fruit in this life. He dwells within us, conforming us, preparing us for Christ and our eternal dwelling with Him. And so those are just a few of the many references of how our triune God uh, has established involvement, continues involvement, and has promised a future of glorious involvement with all of his children. And so what about God's expectations upon us then, for our involvement with others? Uh, first, God's people are called to involvement. And we see this in part modeled amongst the, the disciples, the apostles, the early church. Paul, for instance, um, Acts 20:31, he admonished everyone night and day with tears. right That's not just involvement, that's a, a serious concern and love um, for believers and unbelievers alike that they would know Christ. Second Corinthians 12:15, the Apostle Paul wrote this, "I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will spend and be spent." For your souls, right? That that's involvement, um, and that's what Paul modeled, and that's also what Christ calls us to. And so, for us Christians uh, today, uh, to name but a few references of the involvement we we're called to. Somebody already mentioned uh, the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, nineteen through twenty. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? So that's a pretty broad involvement, uh, teaching them to obey all these things which I have commanded you, right? It takes involvement to be able to teach God's word and to help people understand what it means to follow Christ according to his word. Matthew 18:15 through 20. Um we are called to be involved when there are sins in the lives of other people, to come alongside them to to warn them, to call them to repentance, to help them walk in that process. Colossians 3:16. Uh let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly as you teach and admonish one another. That is a calling to every believer by extension today. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's why you're here. You want it to dwell more richly within you so that you can honor Christ in teaching and admonishing and encouraging and coming alongside one another. And so next consideration, personal involvement uh, helps others to share their struggles and to accept counsel. And so you probably heard it said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? And there's a lot to that, right? They can know you may have the answers, but if you're cold towards them or rude towards them as you put forth the truth, we're not speaking the truth in love. And so as biblical counselors, we want to know how to help them, but we also want to care enough to be able to help them. And we want them to know that we're able to do both by the grace of God. Next, uh, uh, for personal involvement, allows you to share the gospel. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21, the Apostle Paul there talking about the early apostles, but by extension us, they were ambassadors of Christ, entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And so we have what people need Non-believers need Christ. They need to know who He is. They need to know what He has done, uh, what He offers um, freely, that they can come unto Him. And so we need to share the gospel with them. And then also with believers, we need to uh, minister the gospel unto them in the process of ongoing transformation. And and I love this. Personal involvement allows you to share the gospel. Uh, When I first got into biblical counseling formally... Uh, Steve Byers was one of those who had an early influence upon me. And at that time, about 50% of his church, which was a rather large church, had come into the church through the counseling ministry. People with real problems, needing real help, would come Monday afternoons, or Monday, I think all day there, and would come in, many of them not even believers, or some of them believers that, that just needed to understand how to look to Christ the midst of the problems, as they were counseled intensively, discipled, many of them then came into that church membership and the church grew uh, consistently over the course of time. And so we, we certainly should go out into the community seeking to bring the gospel to them. But when you're doing biblical counseling, people will come after you. With their issues, wanting help. In fact, there's a waiting list here at Grace Bible Church. We have a waiting list as well. We don't even advertise anymore because we can't keep up with the demand. And they're coming, many of them non-believers, asking for real help and real hope. And we have it. It's Jesus, right? And so, great opportunity we have to gain involvement with believers and unbelievers alike. So next, how can I get involved in someone else's life? So here's a good definition from Faith Biblical Counseling on involvement Uh, Accepting the counselee as important to God And coming alongside in concern and love To help them see their problems Find biblical solutions And bring about lasting changes For God's glory And the counselee's benefit And so that said What are some practical ways That we can gain involvement With those that we are seeking to counsel or disciple Uh, First Demonstrate compassion Demonstrate compassion is a way of gaining involvement. Uh, the Puritan John Flavel wrote this uh, in his book, Christ Humbled Yet Exalted. He says, Three things promote sympathy in Christians Christ's pity for us, our relationship to God's afflicted people, and our awareness that we might soon need from others what others now need from us. Right? And certainly, consider 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 4, and following. um, The God of all comfort brings us comfort that one day we may also be able to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have have received. And so, we need encouragement, counsel. And as the Lord raises us up and ministers to us, He's also in the process preparing us to go forth and to minister uh, to others. And so... Uh, In Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 20, uh, Paul describes there how he went uh, to live among those at Ephesus, and he served them, proclaimed the gospel publicly, proclaimed the gospel from house to house, through tears and through trials. Uh, Paul experienced life with them uh, the whole time, teaching them about God. And he exemplified here two main things, uh, again, that people want to know about you as a friend, as a counselor. Uh, Do you know how to help? And do you care enough to help? And so our involvement uh, clarifies both of those things with them. And so another very practical way to gain involvement um, is to show respect to the counselee. And I almost thought, is this really important to communicate? But it is, because I've seen the opposite of this done. And so it is important for us to really think through. To love someone is to to respect them in, in their situation, their circumstances. And so show respect for them. How can we do that? He's proper verbal communication. And so we talked about tone of voice last time, what can be communicated, make sure obviously that's done well. Uh, but Colossians 4 6, let your speech always be gracious. How often should it be gracious? Always. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Whether unbeliever or also believer, speak the truth in. Love, and so we want to respect the other person, both in what we say and also in how we say it. Even if it needs to be confrontational, uh, use proper nonverbal communication. And so I'm thinking here, you're sitting across the desk from somebody, um, and you know maybe they're communicating rudely, disrespectfully, and, and you might have the temptation to kind of you know give some of that back to them. Uh, we shouldn't do that, right? We should respect them. We want to care and, and show compassion, regardless of. Of whatever's being communicated, the way in which they're communicating, and also uh, express appropriate um, confidence. Take the counseling seriously. Express appropriate confidence. Uh, confidence ultimately in who God is and what God is able to do, but also confidence that things can change and be different if they will look to the God who has called them to look to His Son, that they may truly change, and that kind of builds back into into hope. Uh, welcome their input. Um, and, and, and sometimes what I'll do after several counseling sessions, I'll invite input, you know, how have you been helped so far? Um, where are the areas you would still see that you most need help? And even in this counseling process, help me help you. How would, how how, how could I be a better friend, a better counselor to you as we walk through this together? And, and sometimes just asking that question occasionally is really good. And that's been insightful for me and I think has made me a better counselor over the years as I ask for feedback, even from those that I seek to help. And then, obviously, maintain biblical confidentiality. Okay, so we're showing respect for others. If they they come and pour your heart out and you go to Facebook and put it all on Facebook, uh, that would be really bad, right? You set yourself up probably a lot of liability issues there as well. But certainly we want to keep things... Confidential. Nobody should know what is being shared in the context of that uh, unless you're mandated to for whatever reason. Okay. Now, there may be child abuse, right? You need to report that. It may be a church discipline issue. You have walked with them, worked with them, called them to repentance. They are not repenting in the course of time. It may need, if they're a member of a local church, to be brought uh, to the church leaders for that purpose. But in general, they need to feel safe with you. They need to know, especially members of your own church they 're sharing these things these things don 't need to be leaked out amongst others and if it does, guess what they 're going to know where it came from because you 're probably the only person they 've shared this with all right and so they need to know they 're safe we need to maintain biblical confidentiality. Another very practical thing is just being sensitive to the needs, especially those who are are coming in that uh, you know crisis or just really heavy hearts over sin or suffering, whatever it may be. In uh, your meeting with them, um, when you're doing biblical counseling, some people, especially from the community, don't have a Bible or won't bring in a Bible. And so have a Bible available. Another thing on my, the corner of my desk when I'm counseling in the office, closer to them than me, there's a box of Kleenexes. Right? Because oftentimes as they come in, they begin to unload. I mean, emotions are high. And more often than not, especially in the first couple of sessions, there's a lot of tears. And, uh, you know, for them to use their sleeve to, to wipe, you know, the tears. And, and it's, not, it's not a really good thing. So a box of Kleenex is there. just very practical, but it's a, love, a way to love them. Uh, another thing that we provide is a bottle of water. So I do formal counseling. I've got a bottle of water sitting in their chair when they come in. And if you think about it, when you're nervous or you had a long day at work and you're tired and you're thirsty and you try to speak, sometimes your throat gets a little dry. Um, and that's just a, a way to show um, kindness and love. Uh, towards them as they seek to share. All right. Uh, Next, provide loving, firm control of the sessions. And so as we gain involvement, um, that involvement needs to be respecting and make sure each person is respected in the context of those that we're working with in a particular setting. And so again, Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes to examine him. And so if you're working with two people, Sometimes you're going to find one person is going to talk a whole lot. And they may talk a whole lot um, so that the other person won't get to talk. And so that they can keep making themselves generally look good so the other person won't actually bring out the truth of underlying things that are going on. And so, again, you want to maintain control of that. Uh, make sure things don't get out of control. If somebody starts cussing or whatever else, you know, you need to kind of back that off. Uh, but maintain uh, firm control of the session. Direct that and make sure everybody gets a chance to talk and that they do so in a, in a respectful way. Uh, also, model, do not ramble model do not ramble in essence what we want to do biblical counseling we want to listen well as we ask good questions and then once we understand the situation we want to not give them necessarily our opinion of things we want to open the word with them and say would you read this and so we listen we seek to understand we we open the word is a general framework that we want to do Uh, we want to make sure we're not lecturing them um, in the context of of biblical counseling. Next, pray with and for your counselee. Okay, one of the best ways we can gain involvement, uh, to take them before the throne of grace to the one that can truly help, to help them see their dependence upon God in all things, uh, to look to Him for His provision. Um, Paul does this uh, wonderfully as he's discipling, caring for, ministering. We, we see that come out in his letters to uh, to those at Philippi, to those at Colossae, he he thanks God for them and then he prays for them. And then he sends that prayer to them in the form of a letter. And so we want to gain involvement by praying with our counselees. Uh, Eric and Hines in their uh, wonderful little book, *Healing the Heart, said this, Prayer is the first function of biblical counseling. Okay, we need to take note of that. Prayer is the first, it should be the first function of biblical counseling, right? We're going to be excited about hearing the situations and bringing them truth, but we need the Spirit of God to direct that we're dependent upon Him for for change. And so prayer is the first function of biblical counseling. The counselor must begin by praying for himself. Self-examination and prayer before each set of counseling sessions will help eliminate any tendency toward arrogance or judgment of the counselee. Prayer reminds the counselor of his dependence upon God. Prayer invites the power of God into the counseling routine and submits the mind to God for the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so prayer is so vital in the counseling process. All right. Any questions on key element three, gain involvement? And most of this is is pretty simple, right? It's kind of obvious you're going to gain involvement, but we want to gain involvement and do so well. Okay, let's jump on then to... Key element number four. Key element number four. Give hope. Give hope. Giving hope is essential in biblical counseling. Giving hope is something we need to especially do in the first session. And it's something we need to do in every session. Okay? Giving hope should always be on your agenda as you're preparing. Even for a formal or even informal counseling discipleship you should be thinking through how can I give this person biblical hope in the course of our time together. Okay, very important. Jay Adams, years ago, I was watching one of his teachings, and uh, he was working with uh, a young man who was struggling, especially with despair, first meeting, and uh, he'd been somewhat intentional in giving the young man some some biblical hope and. Concluded the time in prayer. The, the guy got up, went to the boor, uh, door to leave, and turned around, pulled out his wallet. And out of his wallet, pulled out a large razor blade. And he told Jay Adams, had I not found hope here, I was gone home to end my life. Right? And so he was desperate. He had come for help. And he was determined, this is it. If I don't find real hope, then, then this is it. And, and I've actually had a couple people come back to me, likewise, who, if, if I didn't find hope here, they had a plan. Uh, I didn't know that at the time, and I'm kind of glad I didn't, but uh, always give hope. They need hope, and so we want to give a hope that is biblical. So what is a biblical definition of hope? It's a confident expectation based on the promises of God. Okay, not wishful thinking, I, I hope it'll work out, but rather, based on who God is, it's a confident expectation based on the promises of God. Wayne Mack says that true hope is a biblically based expectation of good. A key verse that uh, I think we can all take to heart for ourselves in our own lives, but also one that you may give to your counselee to consider, uh, maybe even to memorize, um, would be Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in... Hope. So, according to this verse, what is the source of hope? God, okay? And how do we experientially come to know that, as far as it depends upon us? Joy and peace in in believing, as we look to Him, okay? It's His gift, and, and the more we look to Him, rest in Him, trust in Him, it's a fruit of the Spirit, um, He enables us to, to grow in a solid biblical hope. And so let's consider just real briefly, and I encourage you to to read through some of these references later, and there's many more. Uh, But what are some specific counseling scenarios requiring hope? Uh, First, people with long-standing problems need hope, right? And and oftentimes, that's when they come to us. They've tried to deal with this themselves. They've tried other things. It's not working. and, And they come to you, and we need to give them hope. People with particularly difficult problems need hope. People who have been exploited, misled, or abused, need hope. People who are plagued by fears, whether real or imaginary, need hope. People who have experienced repeated disappointments, need hope. People who are nearing the end of their lives, need hope. People who struggle with bouts of depression, certainly need hope. Suicidal people, obviously, they need hope. People who have suffered great loss need hope. And people who are without Christ need hope. Ultimately, a living hope in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And so these are just some scenarios we could, we could add to this and make this much longer. But let's look also from Wayne Mack, the importance of hope. Why is hope important? It produces joy that remains even through the most difficult trials. Okay, biblical hope produces joy That is steadfast, it remains even in the midst of difficult trials. Biblical hope produces perseverance, it produces confidence, it produces effective ministry, it produces greater faith and love. Biblical hope produces consistency, produces increased energy and enthusiasm, it produces stability, it produces a more intimate relationship with God, and it produces personal Purity. We purify ourselves as we look to him and know the hope of his soon return. And so Wayne Mack continues then with this. I thought this was really good in light of hope. The Christian's cup in this world is never half empty. It is always half full. Christians are never in a no-win situation, but always in a no-lose situation because even though we may not understand God's reasons for whatever happens to us, we can know that He is accomplishing a grand divine plan that will ultimately glorify Him and benefit us. Yes, hope is a powerful change agent. With hope, people are inspired to do positive things, but without it, they will flounder and fail. And that's important to note in our counselees, if they're not making any progress, we might need to revisit where is their hope or what is hindering them from having a a biblical hope. So he continues, mark it down and note it well. When people are not changing nor are encouraged, perhaps they do not have hope, a solidly based biblical hope. We must never underestimate the importance of hope in living a Christ-centered, God-honoring life. For while we recognize that God is the ultimate hope giver who provides hope through His Son by His Spirit in His Word, at the same time, we realize that He also uses men and women To inspire and encourage the hopeless to find their hope in him. He uses men and women to inspire and to encourage hope. And that is part of what we are called to do and what we're able to offer others in a very real tangible way. So how do we do that? Well, first, let's take a look at what true versus empty hope is. Okay. The world is full of empty hope because empty hope is based on wrong goals wrong goals, wrong ambition. Uh, it's common, perhaps, for a reluctant spouse to come to counseling, hoping that by showing up and by going through the motions, he or she will get their spouse off of their back. Okay? That's, that's an empty hope. That's not the kind of biblical hope that, that we want to be after. Uh, empty hope is also based on uh, the denial of reality. Uh, I've had people come to counseling to get help for everybody else because it's everybody else that has the problem. They're hoping everybody else will basically get off their back and, and they won't be exposed for the struggles that, that they're having. Uh, empty hope can also result from mystical or wrong thinking. Some people in a very practical sense think that God is a genie in the bottle and they would ask him for a wish they ought to be able to get it and are, are they usually disappointed? Yeah, that's, that's not a, a biblical hope. Uh, also, empty hope is based on bad theology. And this comes, of course, in all forms today as it did in the early church. I had a, a neighbor some years ago, uh, was talking to him about the gospel. And uh, he was very hopeful, confident in a sense that since all roads lead to heaven, he could live however he pleased as he's got a beer in his hand and he's pretty much drunk. Right? And so that, that's a false hope. That's an empty hope. Do all roads really lead to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through His work, through His righteousness, through what He is, what He has done for us. And so these are empty hopes. And so we have the opportunity then to point people to a true hope. And a true hope, of course, is ultimately the result of salvation. His role result salvation. First Peter 3... Uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-4, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He is the source of that hope. And that hope is in His Son through a living hope. Uh, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so... Uh, a living hope is made available. And how do we come to know about this living hope? It's found, it's based upon Scripture itself. Psalm one nineteen forty nine says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. My confidence is in the word that God has given to me. And so true hope is based upon the inerrant, based upon the authoritative word of God. Also, true hope is realistic. Because God promises to make some things work together for the good of his people, right? Yeah, it's all things. God has promised the one who has faithful, who has never lied, whose purposes cannot be thwarted, has promised to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. Okay? If God is faithful and he promises this, is it realistic? Yes, And ultimately, we know what that purpose is, is to conform us to the image of His Son. And so true hope is also, on our part, a choice. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. This is a command. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Christians are called to set their hope fully Upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. But where are we tempted to put our hope? There's some common temptations of where we would put our hope. Finances. Self. What's that? Ammunition. Ammunition. There's a true Texan for you. (laughs) Yeah, ammunition, Yeah, you name it, politicians, and put that hand in hand maybe, I don't know. But hope, right? Uh, it can be easily misplaced, and yet we're called to, to look to Christ and our hope will be based upon Him. And so that leads us to the next point. It's based uh, on what we know, what we know to be true, Philippians 1.6. And I am, Paul says, sure or confident of this, that he who began a good work in you might possibly, perhaps one day, bring it to completion. Yeah, he will bring it to completion. There's a ton of hope in that, right? There's hope for me in that, there's hope for you in that, that if he's begun begun the good work, he has not left us, he has not forsaken us, nothing can separate us from his love, but he began a good work, he will continue that work, he'll continue to prepare you for eternal glory until he comes to finally and fully fulfill that as we enter into his presence for all time. And so it's based upon what we know to be true from the scriptures. And so how do we inspire such hope in other people? How do we help inspire hope? We help the person to grow, first and foremost, in the relationship with Christ. right? If he is our living hope, if he is where the source of hope is, Um, then we need to encourage them in their knowledge and love and relationship with Him. And so in doing so, we teach the person to think biblically. To teach them to think biblically. We're doing biblical counseling, right? That kind of makes sense. Teach them to think biblically. In what specific ways? First, about their situation. Um, If you think about this in our our sex-saturated society, uh, if someone thinks that it's okay for Christians to view pornography... Then should we direct them to reevaluate? Yeah, and and what might be a passage we could direct them to? First Thessalonians four, okay, Matthew five, okay, yes, yeah, all all sorts of passages right that talk about this. So Matthew five twenty eight. Jesus said uh, if you look at a a woman with less intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so we need to help them think through the situation biblically what God says about the sin, how it's addressed, and then also then the ability by the grace of God to be able to renew their minds, to change and to put off those things that belong to the former life and to live unto Christ and to know purity of heart and purity of life. And so we need to help them think biblically about their situation. Also, hand in hand, is think biblically about God's character. Okay? Uh, a great study... Um, and frequently, I'll do with those counselees is the attributes of God, the essence of who God is. Uh, why do people do what they do? Uh, it's because out of their theology. And sometimes they're failing to remember or they're just not understanding uh, the very essence of who God is. And so, uh, God's character is very important. What's a great place to take people to to, to see God's character? One of the most probably commonly uh, sought out books to know God and to relate to Him. Psalms, yeah. Yeah, Psalms are just full of God's character in the midst of all sorts of life circumstances and emotions, and how in the midst of those we, we look to God and we cry out to God and remember who he is, and as we remember who he is, then there is hope. We forget who he is and fix our eyes upon the circumstances, there seems to be no hope, right? But he is our refuge and strength, our very present help. In trouble. And so God's character. Uh, Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 24 says this Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gull. In other words, in our maybe more modern language, bitterness um, and poison. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Aren't we grateful for that? Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Right? He is the God of hope, and in Him there is an unlimited amount of hope for his people. And so we point them to the character of God. And third, we need to teach them to think biblically as well about the promises of God. First Corinthians 10.13, in fact, the verse I got to use yesterday was somebody who had been once again overcome by temptation. Uh, had him consider this verse, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Where is our hope in the midst of the temptations? We struggle with faithfulness, but God is always faithful. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Is there a biblical hope in that? Absolutely. As we look to Christ, as we look to God's faithfulness, He is the good shepherd who's able to make us lie down in green pastures, beside still waters, take us to the valley of shadow of death, and, and seat us at the banquet feast. Right? He is faithful. He is able to do it. We must depend upon Him for the strength and ability to do that. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Um, so we think about God's faithfulness, as invitation, uh, and, and the promises and blessings. Uh, he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Okay? That's a promise of God. That's the hope that we have. That's the invitation of Christ and to salvation and unto walking with him is to come to me. I will give you rest. Okay? Um, and so look unto Jesus. Keith, in earlier this morning... Uh, I think he said this. I didn't hear all of it. He said, A skilled counselor can take a counselee from any issue to Christ. Right? And that is our aim. If we want to give people hope, we need to take them from their circumstances and help them see their circumstances in light of who Christ is. Christ has not forsaken them. He has conquered sin, and in him there are more than conquerors. And so we want to take them from whatever the struggle is to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope there. And So also, as we seek to inspire hope, we want to help them think about the possibility for good. Right? So we all know the story of Joseph, right? He uh, was loved by his brothers. There was actually a session on jealousy in track three that was, was excellent. Uh, no, he was, he was not led by his brothers. He was envied by them. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. He's falsely accused. He's put into prison. And at the end of the day, Genesis 50:20 it says, As for you, you meant evil against me. And those two words that are so great. But God. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Okay, And so we need to think about the possibility of good Even in the midst of very difficult circumstances The Apostle Paul in Philippians Where does he find himself as he writes this letter? In prison, right? And what is he doing? Pouting? Complaining? Yeah, he's rejoicing He's calling them to rejoice Because he knows that this will only serve to Advance the gospel Paul knows who God is. Paul knows that God is sovereign. Paul sees this prison as a divine appointment, a divine opportunity. And so he rejoices throughout. And what's he write at the conclusion of the letter? He, he sends his, his final greetings and, and said, those of Caesar's household of the imperial guard greet you as well. I'm talking about brothers, believers. Through his imprisonment, he'd been faithful to proclaim Christ. In the midst of that, some of them apparently in Caesar's own household had come to know Christ is a divine opportunity right and we need to have that perspective when difficult things come there's hope in this and we need to remember that God is sovereign and that he will bring good out of this and he's called us to look to him and trust him in the midst of it another way to inspire hope is to remind them of their divine resources in Christ and so if you would open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 and if Christ is is truly our lord and savior then there is hope for any and every circumstance any and every situation as we look to him and his provisions and so 2nd Peter 1 3 and 4 says this his divine power now let's stop and think about that just for a moment who's his Gods. What kind of power? Divine. It's infinite. It's without limit. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay? Has granted the, the word form here is is past tense with present implications. In Christ, it's given to us that we can live accordingly. Granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right. And so Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And therefore, going back to the previous session, should the Christian say, I can't? This is too hard. I can't. If we have God on our side and he's granted us those provisions, he's granted us his Holy Spirit to do his holy will, then we need to rather saying I can't, I can help me to do this. Right? And by faith, we do the things he's called us to do. And we have hope to press forward in that, knowing that we don't do this alone, but we've been given all that we need to honor him. And so our identity in Christ is the foundation of, for our hope, it is through the gospel in Christ that we're set free from the bondage of sin. Romans six five through eleven. Uh, we have all the resources we need to put sin to death in our lives. Romans eight verse thirteen. And we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Romans eight thirty seven. There's a whole lot of hope in those wonderful truths. And the last one here, uh, we need to teach them about the nature and the cause of the problem. As we already saw in 1 Corinthians 10.13, uh, temptations and heart issues are universal. There's no temptation, which is not common to man. And so the problem isn't usually something outside of us, but that our hearts desire something other than what God would have for us. And so helping our counselees to, to think biblically in these six ways um, gives hope, gives hope to them, because they're no longer living for themselves and their finite resources, But rather they're living for him and his infinite resources that he has provided for them. And so we inspire hope uh, through learning to think biblically. And second, and some very practical things by being solutions oriented. All right, so according to, was it? Ephesians 4, to 32, basically, we're putting off our former manner of life. We're putting off the old man. We're being renewed in our minds according to the scriptures. We're, we're clothing ourselves, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, that we may then be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so we need to remember uh, as we work with people, we want to help them see how to get from point A, where they're at, to point b and as we help them see here is the solution or here's the problem is defined in the scriptures here is the solution here's god's pathway to get to where god would have you to be that inspires hope because there's actually direction they can begin to see how to get to where god would have them to go next we want to be an example to them as we teach them we also want to model for them the very things that we teach and so Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4.9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Boy, what if our kids did that of us? (laughs) And they actually do, by the way, to some degree, right? Uh, But we want to, to be able to say, watch me, listen to me, follow me. Listen to my counsel, watch my life, and as you do, I'm following Christ. You will likewise be following him. And so as counselors, it's not just about the the one hour perhaps you may have in formal counseling, but it's about your life and your own personal worship and being set apart unto the Lord and, and his word being set apart in your heart. And so we want to be an example to them as we teach them formally as well. Number four, tell the person how long you expect to work with him or her. Uh, and that, that can be hopeful. Um, and, and generally, when I'll start off, is, as I look at the situation and, and kind of, you know, if you do this for a while, you kind of know, okay, if they'll take this seriously and if if they'll seek to honor the Lord and, and humble themselves and, and walk according to the biblical calling that the Lord has given them. Uh, like if I was starting somebody new today and, and there was, you know, several issues involved, I could probably be able to tell them that, hey, you know, if, if you will... If you will take to heart the word of the Lord, humble yourself before Him and before one another, and seek to walk in His ways, by this Thanksgiving you're going to have a whole lot to be thankful about, right? And whereas they may come in and, and no no hope, um, ready to throw in the towel, um, and so we can give them uh, a, a sense of hope by where we expect things to go if they will look to the Lord and trust Him with their struggles. Uh, next, use discernment in who you address. First. Okay? Uh, as this ties into hope. I want you to think about this maybe in the context of marriage. Let's say that a Christian couple comes to you for help. Uh, the husband is a passive leader and the wife is bitter. General principle and counseling with that little information who are you going to address first? The husband. Okay? What would make you think you should address the husband first? He's the leader. He's the head of the home. He's called to to demonstrate the love of Christ in that. Yeah, And very likely, she's bitter nagging because of his lack of leadership. Does that make what she's doing right? No, that probably needs to be addressed as well. But... In that situation, that would probably be the first one we address. I actually had this happen some years ago. A couple had been married for over 30 years. Um, she was the one who filled out the form for counseling. I read over it and asked if, if her husband would be willing to come and fill out one as well. Just because I wanted input from both of them. And so they got there and and uh, she had a chip on her shoulder and just various struggles. And, and I began to ask him about his perspective. It became pretty clear in that first session... That a lot of her struggles were because of his lack of spiritual leadership. uh, Because it's really his absolute failure to, to lead and to love her as Christ loved the church. And so part of the homework assignment I gave them was basically develop a log list. And you'll learn about this in the next weekend. But to just... Take inventory of your own life. And what is it in your life that, that you know is not pleasing to the Lord, that's in violation of Scripture, sins of omission, sins of commission, things that, that you haven't been doing you should be doing, things you've been doing you shouldn't have been doing. And they came back the next week. And she had, I don't know, it was five or six things, and, and they were good, and, and she was sincere. I didn't expect him to come back. Uh, but he came back with a list of three pages handwritten, of all the ways, based on, I gave him Ephesians 5:22 uh, to 33 uh, t- to consider, he had three pages of ways that he had failed to love his wife as Christ loved the church, failed to nourish and cherish her, failed to live with her in an understanding way. And I graduated them two weeks later because he became the kind of husband he should have been. And she had no reason to be tempted towards resentment and bitterness anymore. We still have to deal with you know how she got there. But that was one of the quickest sessions ever because both of them acknowledged um, what they should have been doing, but it started out with him. Now, had I forgot him and just started dealing with her nagging, that probably would have gone for a long, long time, right? Um, Because she still would have had more to nag about, and it's still her hard issue, and that's her sin issue if she's bitter. Uh, But so, you know, the address... um, Address the consider addressing who you need to address first. Um, and same thing, situation if there's abuse, right? The abuse is taking place. You don't really want to start focusing in on the sin issues of the one who is, in a sense, the victim, right? You need to focus in on the one who is doing the abusing first and foremost, because that will give her a very tangible sense of help that he's actually being held accountable and and getting the help that he needs. And so again, there's just wisdom issues in those things. All right got to keep going Um, next follow the iceberg principle and so in counseling oftentimes people will come in and and they'll throw out some of the struggles that they're having and part of it may be just to test you to see if you can really help to see if you really care and if you help them learn to honor the Lord according to his word and and they find real help and hope in dealing with those things then oftentimes you, you you deal with that first part some bigger, perhaps even more foundational issues float up, okay? Because they've learned to trust you in that, in part as a counselor. But also what they're learning to see is by applying the scriptures in these things. Wow, God really blessed this when I sought to follow him and his word and do what he's called me to do. And then that bigger thing, which maybe was really, really big, doesn't seem like such a big thing anymore because they've already learned how to trust God in some smaller things, okay? And so all that to say, whatever they present to you, help them learn to honor the Lord in that. And in the course of time, sometimes these other things will indeed uh, float up to the top and you'll you'll be able to help them with that. Another way of giving people hope, inspiring hope, is give them homework, establishing biblical hope through the gospel. Establishing biblical hope through the gospel. And so um, with homework... Uh, we want to encourage those that we 're working with throughout the week to be looking to God to be looking to His word, to be looking to the promises that are there for them to be looking to the practical steps they can take that will give them a very uh, realistic confident biblical hope that God is with them and for them as they seek to honor them in whatever that situation as they seek to honor Him in whatever that situation uh, may be some very Practical homework assignments that you might draw from concerning hope. A homework manual for biblical living by Wayne Mack. Uh, Excellent. um, Taught by topical. Uh, There's three volumes of that now. You can go through there and, and there's all sorts of different homework assignments that help people in different situations. Another one that I use frequently is a gospel primer by Milton Vincent. How many of you have read that? That's not very many. This should be in your counseling toolbox. Okay. Basically, it's a 31-day devotional, if you will. It's like two or three paragraphs um, that is just a summary of the gospel implications for our everyday lives. Very, very good. And so again, the gospel is unto our justification, but it's also for our sanctification and will bring us finally and fully to our glorification. And the gospel primer is just filled with biblical hope. And a lot of people won't read much, and this they don't need to read much. Two or three paragraphs to meditate on that, and that has been huge for a whole lot of people and coming to understand the gospel in in a deeper, fuller manner. And another one I like to do a lot as well for giving people hope um, is the attributes of God. And I may not sign them, Stephen Charnick's big book, or maybe not even Steve, or uh, A.W. Pink's smaller book, which is a little bit difficult to read for some people, uh, but there are lots of good resources out there. One of my newer favorites is God Is, a devotional guide to the attributes of God by Mark Jones. Um, Jerry, or Terry Johnson also has an excellent one of things called The Identity and Attributes of God. And... Depending on what they're struggling with And and where they're just off Or need to be better informed In their concept of who God is uh, A chapter on a particular attribute of God Can be huge in giving them hope As they look to the God who is um, That then helps them to look to Him In the midst of their circumstances And so those are just some helpful resources For inspiring hope All right. So far we have covered four key elements So test time again what are the four key elements thus far? Gather data. Gather data. Okay, discern the problem. Then, having discerned the problem, we give up one of them, tell them have a nice day. No, we, we gain involvement, right? We get into the trenches. And as we do that, one of the first things we do, and one of the last things we want to do in meeting with them is to give... Okay. Very, very important. And so in the next session, you'll cover giving proper instruction, assigning homework, and the practicalities of that. Uh, There are a couple resources uh, I mentioned there at the end that are are very helpful. All those are really good in their own ways. If you want just kind of a cleft note version to get started, curing the heart is is one of my favorite, more succinct ones. If you're working through the ACPC exams, that's a great tool to help you think through that. And so those are just some resources for you to consider. All right, just a couple minutes left. Any questions or answers at this point on the last two key elements, or any of the first four? Building involvement, giving hope. Under building involvement. Uh, how, how can I get involved in someone else's life? Okay, yeah. So how? Mm-hmm. Yeah, practically, how can we do that? Good. All right, well, let me pray for us. And you get a few extra minutes to stretch, refill with coffee. be good to go for the next session. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have indeed been very involved. Not only have you created... But you have sent your Son to redeem us who have rebelled against you. We thank you for that great love that you have demonstrated for us in Christ that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you are willing to lay down your life upon the cross for our sins. And that you rose again. And that your sacrifice was purely, totally, completely acceptable to the Father. And that you ascended at his right hand. And now you reign with all authority. And we thank you that as you do so, you are a great high priest. You are the advocate and the propitiation for our sins. And in these things, there is great comfort. In these things, there is great hope. Father, may our lives be a reflection of these great truths. And may we point others to these great truths in their struggles, that they would know you as a sympathetic high priest and that uh, you continue to intercede for your people. And so, Father, in that we have comfort and we have hope. And we, we ask now that as we uh, recharge for this next session that you would help us to ponder the things that we've heard and that you would bless our conversations. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.